Hello there, and welcome to Next One's Coming Faster. Zach, Ogis, are Hello. you here? I'm here, Bobby, and I'm, I'm having a great time, and I'm, I'm flourishing, I believe. Thank you for inviting me to the podcast once again. Zach has informed us that he has the sniffles, and I have informed him that no sniffles will be allowed in this intro. Okay. I am trying as hard as I can not to give in to the urge to sniffle, and if I do, I will be punishing myself later on in a way that I, I don't want to reveal right now. Maybe it should be like the movie trope where, like, if you, in this case, sniffle, Bobby kills me. Yeah. As a warning. Yeah. Because that's kind of But I do think that Zach is prepared to engage in self-flagellation. Is that like, is that like farting? (laughs) (laughs) That's great. So, guys, the last episode we covered, well, the last episode we released Right. Not the last episode we recorded something about, but the last episode that we released was the episode Next One's Coming Faster. From whence it came. Now we have we have some news. The premiere of the new season of Justified is going to be on June first, with which is less than than two months from now. It has put some pressure on us. We will complete Season three, then think what we're going to do is have a, well, there won't really, I think our release schedule will time perfectly with the the new season. And even if it doesn't, we'll make it work. I don't think there will be any gap. There might be a little break for us in terms of recording because we'll finish recording the season three episodes in enough time. However, then... Zach and Ogis are going to be under the gun. I will have a gun on them. Yeah. Making them watch seasons four, five, and six quickly so that they are ready that we can start reacting to the new season. Then I think the plan will be we'll go back and we'll cover those other seasons after the, you know, the two months or so of covering season like the new season, season I, 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 season seven doesn't feel right. Covering the city primeval season, okay. So this podcast will be here until the end of time. I would just like to say that if I don't catch up in time on my episode watching, I will kill Ogis. <laughs> I have a real vested interest in you. Please. Up to all the episodes. You only have one episode left. Please watch it. I'm sorry, Ogis. I've given my word. <laughs> Man's got to have a code. You're not even doing anything right now. Just watch the episode. I'm a little sleepy. <laughs> or... Maybe you watch episodes and then you realize you missed one. Mm. Oh, and June first comes what around. A twist. And, oh, what oh. a twist! Sounds familiar. Who would do something like that? Who would watch an episode not without watching of, the previous episode? Not, none of us fine, responsible individuals. And and that that is a a little teaser for something you'll hear 
in an episode actually well after this episode because <laughs> we're ahead. So you'll see. Just keep that in the back of your mind. It'll come back up. <laughs> okay. I would like to announce a couple new patrons that have joined us on Patreon. We've got Jeff, who has been a big supporter on the Justified subreddit. I appreciate you, Jeff. Thank you for joining our Patreon. And our second ever Mags Bennett Legacy Deal tier member, Rob, who is also someone I've interacted with quite a bit on the subreddit. He always has feedback and thoughts on the episodes, and I really enjoy talking to Rob. Rob is, I, I will, I'm going to say this, Rob is the the guy that is still upset about Zach's rating of Hatless. Mm. And I don't know, Rob being a legacy deal member, we might have to revisit Hatless at some point. <laughs> <laughs> we got to do it for Rob. Okay. Fine. Although so that it. might make him leave if we revisit it and you hate it again. You hate yeah. it more. Your rating goes down. Well, that's a, that's a risk that Rob has taken, I guess. We're giving Rob a decent amount of power. You know? Well, he's a legacy deal member. They have a little. There, right. He's a sponsor. Yeah. We, have, in, we have to, you know, we he's have to a answer to the people. Yeah. Yeah. Along with our new members, Rob and Jeff, I'd like to again shout out and thank. Heather, Kyle, our, our other, our OG Legacy Deal tier member. Oh, I he did reach out to me. He does not want us to kill him. Um, so oh, okay, okay. Just a note. Uh, that's relief. good to know. I was, I was. Yeah, that. Yeah, that was going to be a lot of work for us. Yeah, but would have been worth. Uh, it. Also, Mad Max. Listen, I've not been corrected. I'm confident that that is Max Scherzer, Julie. <laughs> Christian, and last but certainly not least, my wife, Mora. Thank you all for your support, Mora. Thank you for the marriage. Hmm. Very kind of Mora. The marriage to marry to marry you, me. That is yes. She said it's more work than listening to the pod. Hmm. Makes sense. She hasn't said that, but I I imagine she's. It would be, that. I would think. Any marriage, you know, it's not just you. It's work. How romantic. Yes. Mm. Anyway, the episode you're all about to listen to is The Devil You Know, season three, episode four. Well, it's us talking about that episode. It's not just audio of that episode. That would be a, a real change in how we deliver this content. That might be a good a good option moving forward, though. Uh, if people get tired of hearing us, we just we just play the show. Less editing on your part. Um, no visual, lazy. no visual element. That would be that would be tricky, but something to think about. Here's what's interesting. We're about to wrap this up. I am concerned about Zach's audio because I'm watching him say everything he says before I hear it. So hopefully it sounds okay once we hear the audio. If not, maybe, you know what would be funny? If your audio was messed up in the past when that's happened and I've had to edit around it or make it work, if this time I just muted all the audio that was messed up and we just had us responding to nothing, 
<laughs> so we'll see. Funny. Or I did a Zach impersonation. Yeah, yeah. Do it. Or you you okay, transcribed right you transcribed my. Well, let, yeah. Let's hear it. Okay, here I'm gonna be Zach. <clears throat> hey guys, it's me, Zach. <laughs> oh, Zach, was that, that good? Sound- I thought I was speaking to my doppelganger. <laughs> Your vocal doppelganger. Okay, stop saying that. <laughs> it makes me uncomfortable. That's how it's supposed to be said. Doppel- no. Doppelganger. Is it? Hyperweisen. I have a doppelganger. Doppelganger. <laughs> no, 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 no. All right. I'm not here to speak another language french okay clearly french yes but anyway let us let us wrap this up let's let the people get to the episode zach ogis thank you for your time here this evening and to everyone else we'll see you this time on next one's coming faster hello and welcome the next one's coming faster, where Zach has been taking orders from a woman who has raised her hand to him and is protected by a man who is not against taking a poke at him himself. Give me an amen. Give me an amen. Give me a goddamn amen. 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 Thank you. You know, he says... I can't pull off the Neil McDonough version of that, but... I thought it was weird how he says amen, mm-hmm. and then the other guy says amen. It was interesting. It reminds me of a time... We don't have time. We don't have time for childhood recollections and stories. No, sir. We are trying to keep this tight. We were thinking, hey, we might get this thing started. We might be done by midnight. It is midnight right now. (laughs) (laughs) So, we are here today to talk about Season 3, Episode 4, The Devil You Know. And you know what's interesting? Recently, we've been doing, we just started in the last couple episodes that have been released. We just started, so we're talking a, a month or two ago now, when you're hearing this. We just started doing these little intros to the episodes, which is funny because we'll probably do an intro to this episode. And I don't know what, what we just said. So far, the first two were just weird, random shit. So. Thanks for sticking with us if you made it this far after whatever the hell we just talked about moments ago. Thank you, everybody. Isn't that crazy, though? As I'm saying this right now, I'm talking about something we haven't said yet. But the people that are hearing it are hearing something that we already said. Time. It's a flat circle. This is now a season one True Detective pod. And only season one. Goddamn right. Were you going to say something else about time, Zach? I was going to say exactly what you said, Bobby. And then I saw that Ogis was also going to speak. And I halted. And caught fire. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Wait, were you really going to say time is a flat circle? I was. I was. Excellent. Well, it's good to know we're on the same wavelength because we're about to rip through this episode. The Wild Women. Do you guys remember that video? The Rippin' and the Tearin'. Sounds gross. No. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> That is... Everybody that does not know the the reference (laughs) thinks I'm insane. It was a viral video of an old guy at like a a singles 
retreat for like older people. And they're like, why do you come here, sir? And he's like, the wild women. <laughs> and he's he's also an old man in a Speedo. <laughs> and he's, the ripping and the tearing. Anyway, Yikes. it's insane. Look it up. It's a home video of mine. Yeah. <laughs> it was at a family picnic. No, it's, look it up, everyone. I, I It's real. Whoo. So far, not... <laughs> We are, we are I'm, right on schedule, baby. <laughs> We're getting there. That's what I'm just gonna say. So far, we are not doing great with recording this podcast. So far, the, we're failing. There's always the next 56 minutes to get back on track. <laughs> okay, so I'm gonna take over hosting the pod now. Yes, yes, yes. Comment an episode. Ship. Um, Ogis, how would you rate episode four of season three, The Devil You Know? I would give it new captain. <laughs> I, I would give it an eight. I liked a lot of it. <clears throat> I liked I liked quite a bit of this episode. Some twists and turns. Didn't think oh, yeah. that uh, one character's journey would end quite here. Um, I have more to say about that uh, this time on next sure. one's coming faster. And uh, I thought there were a lot of like fun lines. We got, I feel like we got a lot of like interesting performances from a wide variety of characters. Eight. Okay. Say I, I accept your rating. Bobby, how would you rate this yes. episode? Episode four of season three. The I, devil, you know, I am coming in justified with an eight as well. Okay. I was actually thinking about it right before we recorded this, and I was like, oh, what do I think about this episode? And I I actually think it's a good I do think it's a good episode. It might even be an eight point five, but I'm I'm gonna go with an eight. Uh I don't know. There are a couple scenes that really stick out. The the end scene is quite good and I think impactful and interesting. And I, I actually like the way that this episode introduces it's kind of been like sprinkled in in the last episode or two that like something's going to go on with this prison guard and the and Lance and stuff. And I like that we have this kind of multi-episode like mini arc happening here, mm. right? It's like clearly not going to be like a plot line throughout the rest of the, the season. I don't know if you guys felt like it, but like the whole Dewey thing and, you know, and when I read you the the synopsis for the next episode it's clear that that's going to kind of take center stage, but I, it's interesting to introduce like a little, not a one episode plot, but an episode, a multi-episode arc that incorporates characters we already know, plus some new characters. And there's, you know, there's just some stuff going on and ha, ah, I like it. It's a pretty good episode. It's a solid episode. I will say I was disappointed that there was no commentary mm. on the Blu-ray for this episode. However, I have some commentary from some previous episodes that will prove insightful for some of the events of this episode. I thought you were going to say, I have some commentary of my own. Same. <laughs> I would like to record some back to you in the studio, Zach. <laughs> okay. Thank you, Bobby. I will give this episode a 7.5. I agree that it's a solid episode. Uh, it doesn't shine quite as much as, um, some recent episodes, even in even at the beginning of this season, I felt 
what I really zeroed in on this episode was um, the tone. It was, it was quite brutal at times. It was, there was some humor in it. Oh yeah. Particularly the, um, I'm talking about the humor here um, between Dewey and Dickie. I kind of like their little team up of like beta males, not, not to use that term seriously, but they're both kind of guys who are a little bit like forgotten about and they, they vibe together on that. I like their, their little duo, but there's a lot. They're cute together. They're cute together. There's a lot of nastiness in this episode. There's, broken bones there's needles there's uh, a torture oncoming apparently of, of port dewey there's um th- the last scene which we'll get into more detail about is pretty harrowing in some ways uh, devil's, oh yeah devil's death is not pleasant um and i in the past, you heard it here first zach prefers for the devil to be alive and well in america i like to worship satan um, i do <laughs> I'm going to be honest about that on the podcast. That's a clip. That's the clip from this episode. It's just a two second clip of you saying that. <laughs> Find out that'd be maybe that would pull people in though. We got to see what's happening on this. Yeah, episode. yeah. I would even go so far <laughs> as to say, "Hail Satan!" Um, and I'm, oh, I'm no. not ashamed to say that. But yeah, you know, in, in past episodes, <laughs> in past we're going to lose listeners, particularly like my my um, well publicized uh, disdain for season. Um, one episode four hatless where there it's like not a lot it's episode of- nine episode four is an episode you actually like <laughs> that's episode nine. long in the tooth oh jesus episode nine is hatless. all right well it's a long time i feel a little absurd that i knew that without looking anything i up. mean it but we, we should all know it i guess but maybe that speaks to how little i thought of it was that i totally forgot what when in the season occurred i actually don't feel crazy that i know episode nine is hatless because we've mentioned it so many times but i'm proud of me for knowing episode four was long in the tooth. I'm proud of you too. Anyway, my I need more external validation. Go on. My point was just that my issue with that episode, as I've repeated, was that it was a little toothless to to be a little on the head on the nose, but on the tooth. That's a mix of hatless and long in the tooth. That's right. It just it wasn't it didn't have the stakes and the brutality that I kind of think I was yearning for. This episode had a lot, maybe even too much of it for me. Sometimes when we get what we want, we realize maybe, you know, it's not what we want. And there was a lot of darkness. If you in try sometimes, though, you, you'll get what you need. Great, great song by the Beatles. I believe that's by the BGs. Okay, yeah. The B-52s. <laughs> anyway, we've all given our ratings now, so I'm going to pass it off to Bobby, who's going to summarize the show in detail. I'll also share Cheyenne's rating, but Ogis, it seemed like you had a, did you have something you wanted to say in response to what Zach was saying? Or are you just, you just propping yourself up and leaning in? Uh, no, I agree with what he was saying about, about the tone. And, and like, there were really some funny parts. Uh, I just, I can't wait until we discuss that last scene because I'm, part of me is just like devil man. What were you thinking? What you want to Tarantino it? We'll do it backwards. Mm, or just completely out of order. Yeah, we'll just hop. That would be really difficult. Yes, I'd have to have organized it out of order. Yeah, I'm excited to talk about that scene. I'm excited to talk about the Raylan and Boyd scene. I really enjoy. That was when I was outlining the episode. That scene, Raylan and Boyd, took up like a good amount of time because I found myself again, like writing down everything they were saying. 
That being said, let's hop into this one. We, uh, oh, wait, Cheyenne. Cheyenne rated this episode an eight. Hmm. She said it helped move the plot forward, but I didn't enjoy it as much. And I wonder, I was thinking this even before you said what you said, Zach, but if part of why she didn't enjoy it as much is because it was like a, a bit darker and more brutal, uh, as you mentioned. She said she did appreciate Rachel's character showing a lot of strength and assertiveness. And I had said to her, like, it's cool when we get the episodes where we get a little more Rachel or, yeah. or a little more Tim. They're kind of few and far between, but they're they're usually pretty enjoyable. Absolutely. So the IMDB user rating on this one is an 8.4 out of 10. We're coming in like just below that with three eights and a 7.5. The IMDB episode synopsis. A prison guard springs Dickie and Dewey from prison in an attempt to get his hands on Mag's secret fortune, while Robert Quarles offers Devil a shot at becoming a boss if he betrays Boyd. And we'll see what happens. Couple new characters. We get Junior and his dad, Coombs. I don't think they ever say that guy's name, but that's what it's listed as. Uh, Junior played by Adam Bartley. Coombs played by Ed Corbin. And then we get Tanner Dodd, who we see in the very beginning of the episode, played by Brendan McCarthy, not to be confused with former MLB pitcher Jerry Blevins. No, not to be be confused with former MLB pitcher Brandon McCarthy. An all-around good guy. I like him. He's a good Twitter follow. We get a couple returning characters. We get Loretta. We get Lance, the prison nurse or doctor. And Ash Murphy, the prison guard, plus, you know, a bunch of favorites we, we've we come to know and love, such as Devil. I don't. But we'll see. So. In memoriam, we get Ed, the van slash hearse driver. I didn't list him as a new character because he just, we see him and he dies. Uh, we got Junior. We got Coombs. Combs, maybe? It's C-O-M-B-S. I guess it could be Combs. Combs. I think they say Combs briefly when the nurse goes over and and they're like deciding what to do because plans have changed. He's like, what do we need to do with Junior and Combs or something along those lines? Let's roll with that then. Sean Puffy Combs. Yes. Recently featured in the Super Bowl commercial. And then the big, the big in memoriam, of course, is Devil, which we will talk about at length when we get to the end. Any other thoughts or odds and ends before we dive on in? No. So we're pretty much at where we're usually at when we get to starting the episode. We're not going to run through this quickly as to not. What if you know, we go in depth? Well, I've got an idea. What if we request request that at this point in the podcast, listeners tune us to double speed? Will that will that help? like tune to a different station? If they Don't set touch us that dial, set us to two x. Will that change anything? No, because don't we need to be done by one? Isn't it won't that change issue? anything for us as people? I I don't. Yes, it will. Okay, so just. To, <laughs> Just to let everybody in on why we're saying we would need to finish, I set the end time for our recording session as 1 a.m. I don't think it actually matters. I don't think it's going to like cut us off mid-recording. But if it does, 
Well, I mean, I guess we these people are just gonna have to wait. We can just try go past E, see how far we'll the see. road takes us. But we'll try to keep this one around an hour anyway. So here we go. Episode opens with Devil, who seems to kind of be nervously pacing outside, and he's talking to a new character who I just mentioned, Tanner, played by Brendan McCarthy, and they're waiting to meet with someone who turns out to be Quarles. So inside, Devil, Tanner, and Quarles meet, and Quarles explains, you know, Tanner is like his talent scout. He helps him find people who are underutilized in their current situation. Says he's heard Devil's been pushed to a, quote, second-tier position at an enterprise that is going nowhere fast. Devil seems a little wary at first, but he seems like clearly interested. And as he's kind of saying like, oh, well, I don't know, or whatever, that's when Quarles has this little monologue where he mentions like, you know, oh, Boyd's working with with black people. And he says like some pretty racist stuff in there um, about like working with people you'd rather see swinging or something like pretty intense. Oh, yeah. And that's at the beginning of this thing where he says the whole thing is, and you're taking orders from a woman who has raised her hand to you talking about Ava. Um, and then he devil's like, so you're saying you got something better. And Quarles says, I guarantee it. And says, but you know, you're going to have to get your hands dirty. And initially devil's like, Oh, well, I'm not sure. And he's like, okay, well, yeah, think about it. Cause you're going to have to get your hands dirty. And then that's when devil's like, well, for the sake of argument, what do you got in mind? It's interesting that he seemed a little wary, and then he's like, you're going to have to do some bad shit. And he's like, okay, I'm listening. <laughs> so we then cut to our new, you know, BFF couple here, Dickie and Dewey getting their ass kicked in the prison yard. And, it's you know, like they're calling out to each other. It's it's kind of It's like, Dickie, don't leave me. And he's like, Dewey. And he's like getting pulled away. <laughs> Uh, so then the next scene is them in the infirmary with, you know, the Lance is kind of tending to Dickie's wounds and Dewey's, I will see, I, I'm going to just say it right now. At some point in this episode, I'm going to say the wrong names when I'm going back and forth Dickie between and Dewey. Dewey and Dickie this whole episode. Yeah. But we'll see. Um, Dewey is t- or cha- handcuffed, whatever. He's handcuffed to the, to a bed and it looks, seems like he might be unconscious and Ash is kind of seems like he's panicking. He's like, oh, what are we going to do? We we were never supposed to have this idiot around or whatever he says. And he says, maybe we can just throw him back into like gen pop. General population. Oh, I thought it was a like a Gen Z snack or a soda. <laughs> or maybe pop music from Genova, Italy. Genova like is Genova place? Genoa. Gen- Genoa. That's what I meant. <laughs> Not Genoa. Genova. Genoa anyway. Bologna. 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 Let us move on from whatever the fuck we're talking about. <laughs> so, Ash suggests putting Dickie back in Gen Pop. Lance says he's heard too much. And then Ash says, hey, moron, how much have you heard? And Dewey goes, about y'all breaking out? Nothing. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Dewey. They obviously agree that they can't let him go back out. So then Lance is like, hey, look over there. And then just sticks him in the neck with some kind of like tranquilizer or something. And he like panics and runs around because he just got stabbed in the neck with a needle. Um, And then he, you know, 
eventually passes out, which leads to the next scene of Raylan and Rachel interviewing Lance about. Uh, before that, like Lance essentially says, like, I have an idea. And, you know, then he sticks him and then we cut to Raylan and Rachel interviewing Lance, who, you know, has some kind of cut on his face and is saying, like, oh, they got the drop on me. And Raylan seems immediately suspicious of this guy. And then Raylan and Rachel talk like right in the other room from where Raylan was talking to him. And Rachel says, you know, this old timer prisoner passed away in his sleep last night, was awaiting transfer to the morgue. And Raylan's like, oh, so you think they snuck out in the hearse? And then Lance, you know, like knocks on the window and is like, hey, can I get out of here? I got to go get stitches. And they're like, hold on. And again, Raylan seems like weird, like weirdly, like immediately impatient and suspicious with this guy. Can, can I ask a, one question about this escape? How? Yes. Wh- what is Ash's plan to avoid being culpability? Like, th- I it seems almost like he thinks that there's going to be so much money that he can just like start a new life in another country or something. So he, I, he knows that he'll be that the, the prison like is on to him, that he's gone with the, with the I mean, prisoners. I guess he doesn't know because the way that they find out is from Boyd. Right. So like the right. prison doesn't, so maybe he doesn't, yeah, the prison suspect. doesn't know like, but it, it does seem it's something I was thinking about throughout this episode. Like that their plan is just bad. He's like, okay, like you and me are going to go to Noble's Holler and 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 get the money now. And it's like, you don't think the the cops have any idea like where Dickie might go, and you don't think I mean, he's at. I don't know, like that you might just get killed if you go to Noble's Holler. You're just going to go into this like place you don't know anyone with this guy who's under duress, and because yeah. I, I think really if the marshals didn't beat him there. They go to Noble's Holler. Ash probably just gets killed, like the way that these other guys get killed at the end of the episode. Like mm-hmm. what? It it seems like such a stupid plan. Yeah. But hey, people have stupid plans all the time. Uh but anyway. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if he he it seems almost like he's like thinking it up as he goes, some of it. Yeah. And obviously they have to audible a couple times throughout the, the hairbrained scheme. Oh yes. So then we see out in the woods, Ash meeting with the hearse driver, whose name is Ed, and the, he's like, "You have any issues?" And Ed's like, "No, hey, you mind if I get a taste?" And boom, shoots him, in, shoots Ed in the head. That rhymes, and he's dead. Mm-hmm. Then Ash opens the back of the van where there are three body bags. One of them starts like wiggling around and rolls out, and he opens the other one, which is Dicky, and wakes him up. And so it's obviously Dewey in the other body bag, just like rolling around the ground. That sucks. I hate that. <laughs> You hate when that happens. I just, yeah, it, that's that situation is incredibly unpleasant. Seeming, I, I wouldn't like that. Yeah. Then, you know, he lets Dicky calm Dewey down. Ash tells Dewey, "Hey, if things go well, you might be able to live as a free man." And, and Dewey's like, "All right, thanks, guys," and just starts to like walk that off. That's hilarious. Later, he's like, <laughs> and he's and Ash is like, I, "I said if things work out, like get over here." <laughs> so. Then Dewey goes with Lance while Ash tells Dickie, hey, we're going to go to Noble's Holler to get the money. Okay, let's see how that see how that works. It's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see how it works out for him. Mm-hmm. Next, we see Loretta meeting, or Raylan meeting with Loretta at her foster home. And at first, we're like, oh, this is nice, a, a Loretta scene. He's just checking up on her, but he's mm-hmm. clearly there to ask about Mags' money. And they have like this, they have this weird, like almost 
antagonistic relationship, but not really. But like Loretta's always seems like kind of suspicious of Raylan, even though he straight up saved her life. <laughs> um, but because she asked him something and he's like, can't say. And she's like, can't say, don't know, or can't say, can't say. And he's like, a little bit of both. And then he asks her about Maggie's money and she says she can't say. And he says the same thing. And they're, ha ha, cute, he he. Anyway, he gets some information from her because the next scene is Raylan driving as Rachel hangs up a call and says they found the hearse. Driver shot in the head, two empty body bags, plus the dead inmate mentioned before. Raylan suggests they probably had help on the inside, which obviously they we know they did. Raylan says they're going to go to Noble's Holler, which is a community that was carved out for emancipated slaves after the Civil War. And he says white folks have been trying to get rid of them for 150 years now. Fun fact. So this was something I heard in the commentary for one of the first couple episodes of the season of this season. This idea of Noble's Hollers based on real black hollers that existed in Kentucky after, after the Civil War, after slaves were emancipated, just like Randall was saying. But unfortunately, in real life, they were not as, you know, fortunate to last this long. And they're all gone mm. at this point uh, in, in real life. But they thought that was an interesting piece of history that they kind of wanted to. So, yeah, justified as a uh, historical fiction. Mm. This is actually as if JFK was still alive. They never mention it, but that's an underlying. <laughs> <laughs> actually, they do mention it. JFK was alive for hours. Yes. <laughs> yes, Bobby. Great call. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Anyway, so, but uh, cool kind of piece of history that. I forget who it was. It was one of the directors or writers was talking about like how they came up with Elmore the idea for Limehouse. And I, I think Limehouse is entirely a show character. Um, but anyway, Rachel says Raylan is bringing her with him to be an ambassador of African America, to which he says he recalls being pulled along on a similar mission by Rachel, which is a reference to the first episode of season one, when she wants him to go to Harlem with her because She's like, these are your people. Um, and she's like, fair enough. <laughs> she's got a like, touche. Uh, Raylan explains that if Mags kept her money with in Noble's Holler, it's with Elston Limehouse. And she asks if he knows Limehouse, which Raylan says kind of cryptically. He's like, we met once. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like, hmm, what's that about? Next we get, I, you know, a, a good note for this episode, like a lot, even some of the episodes of Justified that like you didn't like early in season one, like season like episode two and three. And it's just a quick, you know, it never feels, I, I never really feel like the show is dragging. I'm always like, Oh man, this episode's almost over. Mm-hmm. I agree. And it like the 40 minutes really does. It's a good length where you can get a lot of stuff in, but it's not like you're spending your whole night watching something. Right. Precisely. So, and the reason I say that is cause I'm just like, Damn, they're at Noble's Hollow already. Like we're you know, we're already getting somewhere in this episode. So Raylan and Rachel arrive at Noble's Holler. He introduces himself and Rachel to Limehouse, to which Limehouse says, you know, there's something about that name Givens. And Raylan says, I'll probably remember my daddy. To which Limehouse kind of is like, Oh, did your dad do something worth me remembering him? And Raylan's like, Well, when you put it that way, I guess not. <laughs> And he goes, then why would I remember him? And Raylan has this look on his face like like he's kind of like <laughs> confused or surprised that Limehouse doesn't remember, especially when we hear the story later. It's like you'd think that would be memorable. 
So then Rachel explains that they're about two local boys, Dewey Crow and Dickie Bennett. And he's like, who who the hell is Dewey Crow or whatever he says. And <laughs> that line reading is really funny. Who the hell yeah, is I, Dewey I Crow? Yeah. <laughs> and then Dickie, uh, Raylan says the thing about, oh, he's got the gator teeth on his neck. Da, da, da. And he says, do we have to pretend you don't know who Dickie Bennett is? And Limehouse asks where Rachel is from, saying he hears Tennessee, which she says is correct. She says she grew up helping her mom clean a white lady's house and it paid for her to go to college at Ole Miss. And, and Raylan goes on to say, oh, like the prettiest girls ever from Tennessee or at Ole Miss or whatever. He says, because he says even Vanderbilt. more so than at Vanderbilt. And that pinged in my head immediately. And it was a, a, you know, a fun fact on the IMDb trivia too. Raylan mentioning Vanderbilt, his uh, university, because he is a descendant of the Vanderbilts and therefore is related to Anderson Cooper. Wow. So the Vanderbilt university is named in honor of Cornelius Vanderbilt, who is Timothy Oliphant's great, 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 great grandfather. Wow. That's amazing. Holy crap. Nepotism at its finest. That's why he was cast. He's probably good looking because he comes from a line of rich people who had access to you know, soaps and skincare when other people didn't. <laughs> Perhaps. Moving on, moving right along. Limehouse says, I like when they're like, so they ask him something. He's like, you know, I'd love to help you, Marshalls, but these ribs is done. And he like really is like done. Yeah. yeah. And he says, you know, you can send your revenue agents down with their dogs and their guns. Won't be the first time or the last blah, 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 blah. And Rachel's like, well, we can start by posting people at the one road leading into the holler and keep an eye out for Dickie. Sure, you won't mind since you've got nothing to hide. And he, you know, clearly doesn't like this, but gives her the classic justified Southern hospitality. Well, if you get hungry, come on in. I'll fix you up something real nice. And kind of like weirdly, like creepily slash menacingly is like, I'll give you bacon that'll kill you. That's not what he says. But <laughs> kill you. He says something about the bacon. Never He's like, I'll give you, yeah, yeah, I'll yeah, I'll give give you some, some bacon, bacon you'll never forget. It's like, it did, it did feel like a weirdly, almost like there was some thinly veiled, like phallic or sexual. Yes. Right. Yeah, that's how I took erotic. it. She was just like, okay. It's erotic and violent. <laughs> what does he say in Wedding oh. Crashers? I it's made you a painting. I call it celebration. It's sexual and violent. <laughs> <laughs> you quoted that the other day, Ogis, and I didn't realize I hadn't seen that movie in a really long time, and I was amazed by that line. <laughs> so good. Go, Todd. You tell that me. <laughs> All right. Anyway. <laughs> so then they they. They leave, and Raylan, as they're leaving, asks Rachel, basically, you mind staying here with Kentucky State Police? You know, they'll have they'll have a post up, and I got another idea I want to run down, essentially. Cut to Ash and Dickey seeing the marshals and state troopers already posted up, leading to Ash questioning if Dickey tipped them off. And Dickey's like, oh, yeah, I tipped off Raylan about my own escape. What can I say? It really felt right at the time. <laughs> I really like that, because I was like, no wonder Ash would just sort of like think all of this is a good idea because not the brightest bulb. Exactly. Like what, what do you mean of all things that you could accuse someone of doing? Why the hell would, would anyone just be like, yeah, this is a guy who's after me. I'm going to tell him, I'm going right. to tell him I escaped, but not at all the dumbest character in this episode. No, 
which I will talk about a little later. <laughs> so they essentially acknowledge, okay, we're not getting up the Nobles Holler this way. And Ash is like, well, we're going to have to go back to the motel while you figure out a way to get the money out. Cut to Ash and Dickie arriving at the motel. Lance, Dewey, and a couple other guys who we learn are Junior and Combs' father, uh, son and father, Junior obviously being the son. Uh, they're holed up there. Junior immediately makes it clear he hates Dickie over the Bennett's Black Pike deal and all of that. And when he's like in Dickie's face and Dickie's like, ain't no reason to get all spun up there, tater tot. <laughs> it is so funny. Everything he does. And then they tell him to call Limehouse and we're treated to another wiggly arm. Yeah, the little wave. You know, Dickie. The wave. It's so, no reason to do that to dial a phone right in front. Of, it's so good. Um, he pretty quickly gets hung up on. We see, then we kind of cut back and forth between there and Noble's Holler, where Limehouse eventually takes the call. I think it's Errol giving him the phone and says he's just going to keep calling. So Dickie tells Limehouse he's counting on him. It seems almost like there's some kind of cryptic message that he's trying to pass along here. He says, you know, he's counting on him, mentions their family, both of their families' long and mutually beneficial history, and asks him to honor the arrangement between them. It just seems like something... Whether that's him saying, like, maybe the arrangement is to bring the money to the store, but clearly he gets some message of, like, I need help. Because he's like, considering the current circumstances and this or that, somehow he relates to them, like, these guys are trying to kill me because later in the episode, Errol and Limehouse essentially saved Dickie. So, next scene is Devil showing up at Johnny's bar where he proceeds... I love that he is in no way like hiding his discontent. You know, like yeah. he might as well be saying yeah. like, "I'm going to double cross I, you." I'm I'm very unhappy. I agree. I was amazed. I was thinking like, if I were going to double cross my boss, I would like act the opposite of how Devil acted. I would act I like guess, I, I, everything was fine. It's so weird that he like hints at it like that. I'll say this though. I think if Devil were to act super like gung-ho like happy-go-lucky all of a sudden that would probably tip them off even more so i think he should have just been normal level of like grumpy but he was like really just like well this is blah, blah, blah. so anyway johnny asks where he's been he says i've been around and boyd gives devil a share devil complains about the amount wonders you know when and if they're ever going to make a move on something worth making a move on and as like boyd's trying to like you know calm his frustrations or whatever we hear Raylan show up and we get the classic hello Raylan from Boyd. Uh, Raylan asks where Arlo is, which leads to them briefly chatting about Arlo getting older and Boyd's like uh, prostate. It makes him hard for him to piss whatever he takes in. And Raylan says, well, you know what they say? Getting old ain't for pussies. Is that a thing people say? That was a really weird line. <laughs> and then Devil's like your daddy's slipping into decrepitude, which I thought this was really interesting. Why is everyone shitting on Arlo? One. But two, the look on Raylan's face when Devil says that, I will say, you know, great face acting by Timothy Olyphant, really conveys this like, hey, I can say this yeah, stuff, but exactly. you can't. Right. Like, you can't talk shit about my family, essentially. Especially Devil. Like, what are you doing, right. man? Like, Boyd, right. there's, there's so much history and whatever. Devil, I know your role, Right, man. Boyd, it could be like, oh, you're a 
like someone joking, or but this guy, like, there's just obvious animosity. Yeah. Everything Devil says to anyone is said with some level of animosity, it seems like. Right. So we get treated to a little Raylan monologue here. But first, Johnny says, truly is sad being the man that he once was. And then we get this classic, as Zach has pointed out, and as I think I mentioned a long, you know, many episodes ago, Timothy Olfen talking about in an interview about how Raylan opens up to these criminals more than he opens up to, like, the people close to him. Because he says, he was something. Hard on my mother, though. He'd lay bruises on her when he'd drink or when he didn't. I was 10 the night she she decided she'd had enough. Lit out, took a clutch with her like she wasn't coming back. That is such a cool sentence. Lit out, took a clutch with her like she wasn't coming back. Just like, fucking, that sounds like I could hear Vin Diesel saying that yeah. in Fast and Furious. <laughs> and then Boyd says, and did she go up to, I, you know, I was found myself thinking during this, this Boyd and Raylan scene, like, if these two weren't on such opposite paths, these guys could just like hang out and shoot the shit mm-hmm. and they'd be like drinking buddies. But then one day Raylan would probably pull a Banshees of Inishirin on on Boyd or something. Oh, boy. <laughs> oh no. Anyway, uh, he asked if she went up to Nobles Hall and Raylan says, mm-hmm, heard the stories about white women seeking shelter there, men not daring to follow them in, but not Arlo. Oh, hell no. He wasn't scared of black folks. He was going to chase her down and bring her back. Of course, he tied one on first, then come up and drag me with. And Boyd, and how'd that sit with the good folks in Nobles Holler? Raylan says, we come up to the bridge, Arlo set to screaming for her, and that's when I met Elston Limehouse, which obviously now this is context for us from his previous exchange with Limehouse and what he said to Rachel. Says, young man then, 2022, Arlo reached back about as far as Nebraska to swing at him. Limehouse just felled him like a tree. He beat him so bad I had to drag him back to the car and drive him home. (laughs) And then Boyd, well, that must have made quite an impression seeing your daddy lay low like that. And Raylan says, and yet, I was up at Noble's Holler this afternoon, Limehouse, no recollection of it whatsoever, like it never happened. And Boyd said, uh, well, maybe he just found it interesting to allow you to believe that. Raylan said, maybe, or maybe he's kicked so many white boys' asses he just ain't keeping track no more. What do you think? To de- When he says that to Devil, and Devil's like ready to fight. <laughs> and then Boyd's kind of like, all right, guys, can you leave us for a minute to calm things down? But anyway, Boyd asked Raylan, he, he's really interested that he was up at Noble's Holler. He's like, what precipitated this conversation with Limehouse? And Raylan explains, Dickie Bennett escaped from prison with Dewey Crow. And do you guys know what the fuck Boyd said here? He said, all right, I might have another blank for your trail mix. Yes. The closed caption is wrong. It says, it, the closed caption is, all right, I might have something for your trail mix. Maybe he said another nut? That would make sense. Mm, I'm yeah, not sure. But he says, "He said I might have another blank for your trail mix." Yeah, it's a funny line. I didn't understand it either of the times I watched this episode. I tried to like read his lips. I was like, "What is he saying?" Turns out I can't read lips. That's okay. We all learned something here. So then Boyd tells him a bent screw at Tramble, the kind of guy who. Puts people together who ain't supposed to be. Might be the same kind of guy who'd get him out. And Raylan smiles because he's interested in this. And a uh, fun fact on IMDb trivia says that 
Boyd refers to Ash as a bent screw. Screw is prison slang for prison guards, and by calling him a bent screw, Boyd is telling him that Ash is corrupt. Mm. We go back to the motel. They're waiting for Dickie to get a call back. Lance says, I say we do the other thing, which, you know, kind of gets referenced a couple times throughout the episode. We don't know what it is. And Ash says, not yet. Did you guys have any thoughts about, like, Lance, like, this whole episode? Like, what what is this guy talking about or what's this leading to, like, before you got to the end and saw a little more of what was going on? Ojis has perfected the audio medium with the, the I, I don't know, he just shrugged his, he didn't even. I was trying to tell. I was trying to tell Zach. Yeah, though. that's what it was. I thought you were just being like, eh, and, but like not making any noise. And I was like, all right. Like, these are the people I'm working with. It's the deadbeats. Yeah, Ojis is pantomiming something. I, I will say that I didn't know that Lance had like really like second level plans, ulterior motives or whatever. Yeah. That's a better way to put it. Like just, I didn't realize he was going there and that he was the most sinister, like by far of that. I mean, really it would only be him or Ash. Right. Right. And we know that it can't be Ash, but I didn't realize the extent to which Lance was, was going to be, uh, you know, fucking shit up at some point. Right. Yeah. Same. Okay. I I gave Zach the point as well just now. Uh, I really like in this scene where Dewey's like, I don't want to bother anybody, but I got a serious hunger thing going on. <laughs> and just the whole little exchange between everyone like being like, yeah, I'm hungry too. And, and someone's like, he's getting chicken. Like, or like Dewey asks for chicken. And then someone's like, he's getting chicken. It's just, it's like a funny little like bunch of people saying Random shit. And then as he's leaving, Dewey's like, no coleslaw. First of all, I agree. Okay. Right. It's disgusting. But second of all, it's not like it's going to affect. Do you eat care it. if Just coleslaw comes? Right. Yeah. yeah. yeah I was wondering, like, is he thinking of like a, is this going to be like a chicken sandwich where <laughs> they might put slaw on it? Otherwise, it's what a, what an unnecessary request. You know what this also makes you realize? Dewey must be so hungry by the yeah. end of this episode. <laughs> yes, poor Dewey. I mean, yep. that guy just really gets put through the ring of this episode. Can't catch a break. Nope. So we cut to Johnny is going into the, you know, the back office at the bar where Devil is waiting in the dark at the desk and like turns on a light. Like, as I wrote here, a la many a bad a movie bad guy. Like right. like the light turns on, it's like, hello. And he explains Johnny, he's upset about the money. There's only one person to blame. Obviously, he's referencing Boyd. Points out, you know, Johnny himself said, Boyd put me here back when Devil visited him in the hospital after Johnny got shot back at the end of season one. He doesn't say at the end of season one. I'm saying mm-hmm. that. They don't know about the seasons. They don't know. Devil goes on to say there was a time he believed in Boyd Crowder with everything he had, but that Boyd today is not the guy he used to believe in. And says between him and Johnny, if they have the right connections, there's no limit to what they can do. And Johnny's like, damn right about that. But how do we get those connections? And I also think like looking at these two people, like, no, that's not accurate. Like, there is a limit to what you can do. Who are you? Right. You know what I mean? Like, I know they have, they have like, con- you know, some connections and they've obviously been 
in it for a while, but like there's nothing about them that screams like, you know, crime kingpins or something. Right, exactly. Anyway, Devil says, you know, I've got a line on that already on how to get those connections. Because Johnny asks essentially how they'd get them. He says he's putting together a meeting tomorrow and it'll put them in some real deep pockets. And Johnny says, well, how deep? Seems genuinely interested. And Devil says, you know, I'll tell you anything you want to know, but I just got to know you've got my back. And Johnny says, start talking, Devil. All right. What's before we get to that final scene, we'll obviously talk more. But were you guys like, oh, shit, like this is they're both going to try to double. What did you think Johnny was with Boyd? Before we got to the final scene, or what was your kind of reaction to all this? I was receptive to it on some level, but ultimately I came back to the fact that it's like you agree with Devil. I mean, I get the I get the pitch that he is making, right? Mm-hmm. I get that. And I thought that okay, Johnny is hearing it on some level. But if he I mean, for one, if he already like moved past the fact that like he had to be reminded that he said Boyd put him in in a wheelchair. Right. It's not like he like broke his leg and he's just on crutches. Like he's going to be in this predicament for the rest of his life. And Boyd's his cousin. What, what are we doing here? Like right. this is such a bold and, and like ill-advised play by, uh, uh, by devil that I was like, yeah, it doesn't can't. even like ease into it. He just is like zero to 60. Like, Hey, you want to betray your cousin? <laughs> yeah. And it was like, I just, I, I didn't really think that it was going to, I wasn't surprised by how things turned out. How about you, Zach? As Ogis lays that out, it sounds very logical. And yes, it doesn't really make sense that Johnny would reverse his allegiance so quickly and at the uh, at the hands of Devil, who's like not all that. Although we did see him betray uh, Bo season one. Yeah. But, you know... Having said all that, I I believed it in the moment. Like I was surprised by the by the like, scene where, by the scene where uh, where where Johnny then yeah <laughs> double double crossing. Yes, sorry, I just totally blanked. Next scene is Raylan in his car outside the motel, clearly on the phone with someone trying to like track Ash's location or his phone or his GPS or something, and he's kind of like, "Can you get me a little closer?" And then we see Ash. Just like walk out with the food. This is a classic like Elmore Leonard Ian like silly moment before some violent shit happens, right? Like he sees Ash with the food we just saw him go out for. Then Ash sees him and Raylan says, hey, why don't you put that food down and we'll have a word. And Ash laughs in this like really uncomfortable way. And then makes a face that gives Raylan like some immediate cause for concern. And we also, the viewer see like, he's got, you know, Ash has got a gun in his back pocket. And I, I just love like when Raylan has that, those moments where he's like, uh Oh, like this person's about to do something stupid or this person's about to, you know, try to kill me. So Ash drops the food. Raylan throws the car into drive. Ash like gets the gun out of the back pocket and kind of fumbles with it. Shoots a shot like kind of just into the air, Raylan yeah. or something, and then Raylan hits That's him with the so car. Strange. He rolls over the top of the car, and I love that we get this moment of like Raylan stops the car and is opening the door, like about to get out. We yeah. cut to inside. We see Lance and the guys kind of like looking out the window, seeing what's happening. 
And then as Raylan's starting to get out of the car, like he opens the door and he sees Ash stumbling to his feet in the rearview mirror. And Ash like fires like a like a broken arm hand, mm-hmm. like pointing in a random direction, shot at nothing. And then is like trying to get with use his other hand to pull his hand up with the gun. So Raylan, you know, closes the door, throws the car in reverse, hits Ash, and Ash just like bounces <laughs> off the back of the car and goes flying. We cut back inside, see Lance telling the guys, let's go, and they, you know, get out of there. Rance, uh, Raylan gets out to check on Ash, says, Ash, you all right? And Ash says, no, you ran me over, you son of a bitch. And Raylan says, uh, technically, you rolled over me, and then I backed into you, but you were brandishing a pistol both times. And Ash says he thinks Raylan broke his leg, and Raylan says, I'm going to break both your legs, you don't tell me where you're going with the food. But then Raylan just searches him and finds the, the room key on him. And he starts to head towards the hotel room, and it's just like, don't go far. <laughs> and then we see Raylan entering the room. Did you guys like this shot down the barrel of his gun as he entered? What do you think of yeah, it? Well, it, it kind of was set up with a bunch of other, like, very sharp-focused close-ups during the duel part. Like, did you notice mm-hmm. that, like, when he, there's a close-up on Ash's hip? And then when he drops the right. food, it sort of follows the food down. Right. Very dramatic. Yeah. There, there were some interesting. Oh, I didn't mention at the top the writer and directors of the episode, which I feel like I should mention because we are talking about some of the shots we see here. Written by Taylor Elmore, who's not related to Elmore Leonard, directed by Dean Pariso. And it aired February 7, 2012. Has Dean Pariso directed other episodes so far? I think this is the first one we've seen that he directed. And there was another shot. It's, I think, at Noble's Holler when Raylan gets out of the car. There's, I forget what those kind of shots are called, but where it kind of like does like a circular motion around Raylan as he gets out of the Mm -hmm. car. It like kind of swivels around him, which I thought was a cool kind of shot. Yeah, it was definitely like a more visually like creative episode than past ones. The slow motion of the food falling and then the chicken falling out of the bucket kind of yeah. made me laugh yeah. and part yeah. of me was like damn can't be salvaged <laughs> i would did we notice is there any left in the bucket did we notice if any coleslaw popped out of it i wonder that's no. a great question <laughs> listeners great. <laughs> listeners we want to know was there coleslaw in the bucket <laughs> what if like the errant shot when uh, after he's first been hit ash like with his arm completely bent the wrong way or whatever shoots and it goes into the food or whatever, and it hits the coleslaw. <laughs> the coleslaw fly over, and then it cuts this to is why we need like, a show like nodding in approval. <laughs> oh yeah, <that's> right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you shoot that coleslaw. <laughs> anyway, so we see Raylan enter the room. We get that kind of cool shot down the barrel of his gun. Uh, he notices this still burning cigarette in an ashtray, not to be confused with Ash, the prison guard. He quickly <laughs> clears the room and sees the van and. <laughs> That is the like blue van and ashes. Huh? That's just like it, it's <laughs> funny to think that that was like a symbolic choice that like, <laughs> Ash is burning out. Like he, he's like, hey, he is. Yeah. Hopefully his spleen isn't about to go septic. Yeah, that was. Uh, but Raylan quickly clears the room and then he like sees out the window like that van and Ash's truck peeling out of the parking lot. Raylan goes back out to talk to Ash and asks him where they were going. He says, you know, you could be bleeding internally. It might probably just your spleen. No big deal. But they got to get to it before it goes septic, essentially. And, you know, 
Ash uh, at first is like, help me, like call an ambulance. And Raylan's like, yeah, I just have no cell reception out here on these hollow roads. And Ash is like, use the phone in the hotel room. Raylan's like, huh? And he's like, in the hotel room, use the phone. He's like, oh, okay, yeah. I just feel bad about leaving you again, you know, in case you die. (laughs) (laughs) Nobody wants to die alone, do they? And Ash is like, fine, but you got to promise that no matter what happens with them, no matter how weird this thing is get, this how no matter how weird this thing gets, you say I cooperated. And Raylan's like, what do you mean how weird this thing gets? Which you're probably asking yourselves the same questions in that moment. Cut to Lance, Jr., Combs, Dickie, and Dewey arriving in the in the two cars previously mentioned at a some random gas station. Lance essentially tells them, take Dickie to Mags' store, where Dickie told Limehouse to take the money, but Dickie protests, says, you know, he said he was going to call he hasn't called which eventually just leads to lansing either your man gets the money to the store on time or you get dead and then he tells dewey you know dewey's like what about me or whatever and he's like well i got bigger plans for you and he asked dewey something like about like you know are you going to go along with them and he's like well can you tell me what they are first (laughs) uh and then dewey tries to run away in like a hilariously ineffective way just like it's nobody's even concerned. He runs away and he's like, can you go get him? Like, <laughs> I would be concerned that we're in a public place. You know, people might see you tackling this kidnapped man, but yeah, it's funny. This, this scene, just how like this whole kidnapping prison escape caper is happening just in the middle of a gas station like on the floor. Right. And they're like, p- people are around like filling up their tanks. It, it just felt like, a shit show somehow in, in kind of a humorous yeah. way in this scene. Yeah. So he gets caught pretty quickly. And I, I do like another cute Dewey Dicky moment is like, Dickie's like run Dewey <laughs> go like get away or whatever he says. Like, which is interesting. Cause you know, as much as we've seen of Dickie, we don't see him seeming to really care about other people all that much. So it's clear that they've yeah. like formed some kind of bond. Then, we cut to Errol trying to leave Noble's holler with a trug full of pig shit, according to him. At first, he's kind of pushy with Rachel, who's like, sorry, can't let you go. And he's like, it's like, this is our livelihood. Da, 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 da. And, and then like when she's like, nope, you know, turn it around. And he's like, OK, let me restart. He tries to be nicer, but she's still, you know, not buying into it. She's like, the only way that truck is getting out of here is if we go through every inch of it and then we get an all clear from Lexington and then maybe and he's like, you did hear me say what I'm hauling, right? And I just love this. Rachel's like putting on latex gloves as she says, I'm ready to get dirty. Are you? <laughs> and then he's like, never mind. Great Rachel moment. Yeah. This is a great, this is a sneaky, really good Rachel episode. Yeah. I think it's better than, you know, the episode that was like built around Rachel with her, you know, sister. Yeah. Her sister's boyfriend or whatever and all that. I agree. Um, so Raylan calls Rachel, tells her Ash said Dickie has a deal with Limehouse and the money's going to be at the Bennett store. And she tells him about Errol just trying to get out of the holler with the fertilizer truck, but she sent him back. It's possible the money could have been in there. And Raylan says, well, if so, then the money's not going to be there. And like as not, they're going to kill Dickie. Shit. And Rachel's like, what? It's like, God damn, if I don't have to save Dickie Bennett. <laughs> <laughs> Which I actually, I I think it's funny that we have that line and he doesn't have to save Dickie. Like, it ends up not happening that way, which I think is a, 
a good little misdirect for us because we're maybe thinking when Dickie's in the store and all that stuff's happening that maybe Raylan's going to bust in and kill these two guys and save Dickie or whatever. I think I did think that when the shots started. Right. That it, that it was... And I didn't even think of it till just now because watching it this time around, I knew that wasn't the way it went down. But that I think is what anybody would think, right? That like, oh, how's he going to either he's got a gun in that case in the cooler or whatever, or or Raylan's going to come save him. Right. But then we get Dickie arriving at the Bennett store with Junior and, and Combs where Junior's still giving Dickie shit about the Bennett Black Pike deal and stuff. And he says, yeah, you see, Dickie. I volunteered to come out here for one reason and one reason only. See, because I thought it'd be fun to put a bullet in you and watch you die. Wow. Intensity doesn't just say, like, because I want to shoot you or I want to kill you or I want to put a bullet in you. He says both. I want to put a bullet in you and watch you die. (laughs) Yeah, whole enchilada. So then we see the inside of Mags' store. We we get the outside, right? It's still, like, painted and from, you know, Benedict and the traitor kind of stuff. Then inside it's just abandoned and you know kind of run down at this point and now zach i know this was a scene that you really like do you want me to go through it and then you talk about it or do you have stuff you want to say yeah about you it? go through it i kind of have like a few questions about some stuff that didn't fully make sense to me but you go through it okay and then we'll talk so dickie starts pulling apart the wall looking for the money junior is just itching to kill dickie and dickie's like one second and he's like your second's up but then dickie finds this old cooler and this is where I think we get a true, justified, Elmore Leonard-style idiot. Like, Junior really shows himself to be a dumbass in this scene. You know, Combs tells Dickie to open it, to open the cooler, and Dickie's like, oh, you, you want me to open it? Like, classic Dickie, like, fucking around with them. But then, as he actually starts to open it, Junior's like, wait, what if he's got a gun in there and comes out blasting? And then Dickie's like, oh, okay, like, you, you open it and junior's like what and then you got a booby trap in there and i get my face blown off and he's like one of us needs to uh, uh, open the cooler if we're gonna see what's inside i just love the the such a normal line it, this would be delivered by like most people like one of us needs to open the cooler if we're gonna see what's inside but the the jeremy davies reading of one of us needs to open the cooler is just classic jeremy davies incredible Good at embellishing a little bit right so then Combs, you know, it's like, put your gun on his neck and have him open the cooler. I have to tell you everything. And then Dickie's like, does he? Does he have to tell you everything? Uh, so then Dickie finally opens it and he's like, holy shit. And like, you know, they're kind of, Junior's are kind of like, oh, what is it? And then gets shot out of nowhere, dead. And then Combs, like, you kind of instinctively just shoots Dickie. Like, it seems like in the yeah. shoulder or whatever. And... Then he goes to run out the door, and then he gets shot by Limehouse, I believe, was the one that was outside, and Errol was inside. And, you know, Limehouse and Errol have saved Dickie, and Dickie's all excited that they saved him at first. And he's like, oh, thank you. And then, then he starts getting upset about the money. It's like, you know, is this just a, a taste? It's just a little bit of the money? Like, where's the rest of it? And they're like, that's all of it. And he's like, there should be north of $3 million in here. And they say, it's 46000 da 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 and, you know, explains Mag spent all the money buying up all the property for the Black Pike deal. There's receipts in here for everything that she spent. Like, this is what it is. And Dickie ultimately says he wants Limehouse to keep the money because he asked him, he's like, so the deal is if I take the money, like, we're done. 
And he's like, yep. He's like, well, then I want you to keep it. He's essentially saying, like, I want you to honor our deal. Like, he still wants some level of protection or this contract with, with Limehouse. And that's the scene. Oh, and then he asks, before he goes, he says, like, I just, you know, leave me a shotgun. Mm-hmm. And they're like, okay. And Errol pumps the things out of it, or the, the shells, gives him the gun, and, and they go. So, Zach, what were your thoughts or questions on this scene? So, but Dickie still wants money from that. Like, I just don't fully understand his, like, contract with... So, he's he doesn't want the money so that they are still... I think he's, like, it's supposedly supposed to, like, gather interest. Yeah. He said, have this money make babies. Babies, right. And they're, they're going to do that? Does anybody ever say that to you in your line of work, Raylan? Raylan? Ogis? <laughs> That's flattering. That's fantastic. Uh, no one ever tr- says that to me. I would love, I want to go into a bank and say that. They probably call the police. I think this man's trying to rob the bank. <laughs> <laughs> These people are so pathetically uncool that they, they, ah, they what interpret did he say? that as a threat. <laughs> but, like, okay, so. So he's saying, like, invest this money for me, or, you know, make like, is he actually expecting to return to them and get more money from like, I, what do they I think? What so, do they yeah. owe him? Do they owe him? I think that's a fair question, because it didn't make sense to me either. Like, they said the reason that that money is gone is because Mag spent it. Yeah, so they that's don't it. owe him more. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, he's kind of accusing them of like, stealing some or whatever. But, but in telling him to keep the money and make it more, I think there's like something of like trying to, he wants to keep this contract. Cause also he probably expects he's about to get caught. Cause they saw Ash get, you know what I mean? So he probably doesn't want to get caught and have $46,000 on him. I think he's expecting, you know what I mean? Way more. Yeah. He sees 46,000 instead of 3 million. But I, I'm no, I'm, I'm saying he doesn't want to get, he knows like the police or Raylan or whoever right, are looking yeah, for him. Yeah. They're going to show up and he's going to have this, you know, it's, it's a meager amount compared to what he was expecting, but he's like, I don't want to lose yeah. all of that. So I think that might be part of it. But then I also think there's some kind of like deal like or contract that like, it, it's, it's clear that there's like a reputation that Limehouse has that like he can be trusted with your money. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, it's, but I think he, I think there's something like of he's expecting, this money to gain interest. I don't think he's expecting them to necessarily like add another $3 million to it. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing was like, so they leave him the shotgun just out of like, they seem to like not be threatened by Dickie and kind of have like a, a good humored, like uh, almost mm-hmm. affection for him. Like, okay little man like i'll leave we'll leave you the shotgun they just do that out of out of goodwill like like or because they can like i, I just didn't really yeah i i didn't think the shotgun's all that important okay. to them and I, I think dickie the reason he wanted it was so he could make it seem like he killed these two guys mm-hmm. if they show up and he doesn't have a gun then he has to explain and maybe that that calculation was even in their head right yeah, of like right oh well we don't want it to look like we helped this guy out, so we'll get out of here. I don't know. That makes sense. You know, one thing I, I thought about with this scene was it was like one last inadvertent 
slap from uh why am i forgetting from mags, mags. in the afterlife yeah i mean he had no idea about this he was expecting so much more and i remember the reason i'm i'm making this connection i know i'm sure that she didn't really mean this in a way as to like exclude dicky or act like he isn't important to her but maybe he's not as important cuz when she's having her apple pie the end of season two, she says, I get to see my boys again. And you have one boy right there who's living. Mm-hmm. Like, that's your son, too. And we've talked about how Dickie has this Fredo-esque quality. Um, <laughs> interestingly enough, that helps underscore how, like, really harmless and pathetic Dewey is. Because Dickie clearly is like outranks him, oh, is clearly right. superior to him, and Dickie is regarded by everybody else as lesser, whether due to but his. We actually we made a point in a recent episode, in the I think the episode we just released, uh, where, when Dickie kills those two guys, like Dickie's not harmless, right? Yeah, like, and he actually, in some ways, because of him being like a like a weak little man, is. Yeah. volatile yeah mm-hmm. right so they it, it's notable they don't just hand him the shot they errol yeah. pumps the shells out of right. the gun before he gives it to him. he doesn't just give him a loaded mm-hmm. shotgun right I so agree. i think that's noteworthy they're and, not just like yeah here's the gun because i even thought that in the moment when he asked for it is like wait they're not worried that he might shoot them and then you see errol mm-hmm. take the the bullets or the shells out of it i think that's a good point that his uh, inferiority complex makes him a uh, more volatile character because he's always trying to prove his worth probably to himself on some level too, but to everybody around him. Um, and it's uh, like, it's always returned to him and it would seem like he at least has some capacity to do that. Whereas with Dewey, there's like none. Um, right. But yeah, like, you know, this is one, one final blow that he's received you know, forty six thousand. What is that's that's not a bad sum of money, but compared to three million, that's yeah, really nothing. Yeah, the forgotten child always. Mama, mama's looking down. She's saying this ain't right. It's like, no, she's not, man. No, she's not. Even if she's looking down, she's not saying this isn't right. She's yeah, like, mama oh, said the right reason right. alligators are so angry is because they have so many teeth and no toothbrush. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's it. I wish I could have quoted that exactly. Uh, something to that effect. Medulla oblongata. There's something wrong with his medulla oblongata. <laughs> Anywho. So, yes, moving on. It's one I think ultimately... Yeah, we're, and we're pretty close to the we're end. Doing it. We're doing I, it. I think ultimately that... Uh, those questions are either a little clearer as we, as we go on or ultimately not super important. Yeah. Gotcha. Never ask them again. It'd be really weird if I ask them again for some reason. Wait, before we go. Yeah. Circling <laughs> back. <laughs> so next scene, we see like Rachel and Raylan on the phone. She says she's 10 minutes behind him. Asks if he's going to, and we see Raylan's like pulling up to the, the Bennett store. She asks if he's going to go in. We hear the two gunshots, which is Dickie just firing to make it again, make it seem like he shot. But these he guys. doesn't have bo- bullets. Is he? I don't know if I. Okay, I knew you were going to ask this when I said that he took the, the shells out before. I don't remember if he handed him the shells also because I don't think they're concerned that he's going to 
reload the gun while Limehouse also has a gun yes. before they like you know what I mean? I think he has shells from them. Yeah. It would take him some time, right? Because he doesn't have the shells just right there. I figure right. that it's he would take it, you know, load the gun and then, but they're not worried about it in the moment. He right. could have done that afterwards, and that's what he did. But yeah, I I actually it was I as we were talking about it, I was like, this is going to be a question when the, when we get to the next scene and he and he fires. Because I, I don't know. Um, whether or not they hand him the shells, I'm not sure. But I... Yeah, it doesn't matter. <laughs> anyway, Raylan goes and he finds Dickie with a shotgun and, you know, Dickie says he has no cho- he had no choice and says, you know, I'm the victim here. We see Raylan kind of like scoping the place out. It seems like, uh, in, again, classic, like Raylan does not believe him. And I think he was like, because I thought about this too. It's like if they did like a real forensic analysis, they'd probably be like, wait, there's shots. There's like extra shots here. Like, what are those about? You know, mm. but I guess they could just, you know, say like, I don't, there was a shootout. I don't know. I shot the ceiling. Sorry. Anyway, Raylan asks, uh, uh, eventually he's like, yeah, I'm sure you're the, you're the victim or whatever. He's like, where's Dewey Crow? And then we cut to Dewey Crow taped to a chair in a motel room with Lance, some new motel room. And Lance essentially says, yeah, it's been too long. We would have heard by now if things had gone according to plan. So now we got to do the other thing. And he takes out another needle for, for Dewey. And Dewey's like, no, no. And Dewey's like, you know, trying to get away, but he's taped to a chair. And, you know, Lance kind of like cradles his neck and sticks him in the – cradles his head and sticks him in the neck with a needle. Yep. And Dewey just like passes out again. And he says something like kind of menacing and ominous, like get some rest because you're going to need it. As we see is a bunch of surgical tools laid out on one bed. Yeah. And then he calls. He's like, yeah, I only got one, but I got an idea how we can make some money. And then he starts laying out plastic on the other bed. So more Poor Dewey Crow. Yeah. Jesus. Guys, you interrupted my, the fan favorite catchphrase. More will be revealed. <laughs> uh <laughs> I'm going to put that on a t-shirt. Anyway, then we cut to the final scene of the episode, the one we've all been waiting for. Devil walks into the back room of the bar with Johnny to confront Boyd. Says they need to talk and Boyd asks if this is a good meeting or a bad meeting. Devil says it's a come to Jesus meeting. And Boyd says something like, do I detect menace in your voice? And Devil's like, take it however you want. And Boyd asks Johnny, like, what this is all about? And Devil says, look at me. This has been coming for a long time. And Boyd just fucking plays this up, like, knowing he's got the upper hand. Just, well, Devil, this road you seem bent on taking. Once you go down it, there ain't no coming back. I'm offering you a way out here. You choose to take it. Devil says, yeah, save it. There ain't any way to talk yourself out of this. Uh-uh. I like that he says, uh-uh. <laughs> Boyd says, what line did they take with you, son? They say, why be the man sitting beside the man when you can be the man? Now, don't you know you were jumping out of the frying pan into the fire? And Devil says, I guess we'll see, won't we? Which is, you know, a funny thing to say right before you get killed. <laughs> <laughs> And at this moment, I don't know if you guys caught this. Did you notice that, like, Johnny kind of, like, side eyes, like, gives a look to Boyd, and Boyd and him have, like, a little look in this moment? Mm-mm. I did not. 
it's an interesting little background thing. And then Boyd says, well, I guess there's nothing. And Boyd is like really selling it. Like, oh, I'm about to get killed. Like, here we go. <laughs> it's like, I guess there's nothing left to do then but to do it. And Neville says, I guess not. And Boyd's like, Boyd like sighs. He's like, oh, I get uh, one more thing. An indulgence, if you'll allow me, devil. Knowing me the way you do. And, you know, kind of just that turn in his voice as he says it. Whatever led you in your imagination to believe that you could pull this off? And then Johnny puts a gun on Devil. And this all happens really quickly. Devil's like, Johnny, what the? And Johnny said, it ain't never going to happen, Devil. You should have known that. And Boyd just says, Devil. And Devil's like, wait. And Boyd's already standing, shoots him in the chest. There's no, like, kind of surprising. There's not, like, a long, you know, monologue from Boyd who is notoriously loquacious. Oh, yeah. You wanted to use that word. That's exactly what I was going to say. I can see it. Um, and and Boyd says, all I ever asked for was your loyalty. Was I not entitled to that after everything we've been through? I know how much it hurts. I, I wish I, I love this part, like the kind of comparing it to when Raylan shot him in the first episode of the series. I know how much it hurts. I've been right where you are, laid out on the ground, holding my chest, looking up at the ceiling, trying to find my breath. Devil, I was lucky I made it back. Son, you ain't going to make it back. And he says, you want some help with the pain? And I think this is a really great face acting moment by Walton Goggins where you see that, like, he doesn't really want to do this. Like, he kind of feels like he has to. And then Boyd, like, presses the gun to Devil's head and says, you close your eyes, son. And Devil closes his eyes and he lets out this, like, I don't even know, like, what word to use to describe the the sound. Like, that's a that's what the closed captioning says. And that's exactly what it was. Right. He lets out this like, but it's like a really awful sounding window. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And then notably Boyd also closes his eyes. Yes. And then shoots him, cuts to black. And just one thing I'll say, and then I know Zach, you had thoughts on this. I'm sure you do too. Just um, a couple of, so IMDb trivia was said devils written out of the show because Kevin Rankin had been cast as a series regular on a CBS series, Unforgettable, following oh. the second season of Justified. And both series were produced by Carl Beverly and Sarah Timberman, who allowed Kevin Rankin to film a few more episodes of Justified before his character was killed off. So they gave him, he didn't just disappear. But I was listening to the commentary and they talked about this. I, I don't think anybody would watch an episode of Justified with the commentary on before they've seen the whole season. But they mention it like during the first episode of the season, how he gets killed off in a couple episodes. And one of them said, I forget if they were talking about Carl Beverly or Sarah Timberman. They're like, yeah, they were poaching all our actors. <laughs> Essentially, <laughs> they're kind of like joking around about it. But they mentioned, you know, how they're kind of bummed they had to kill him off because they, they really like the actor and the, and the character. But all right, boys, take it away. Tell me your thoughts on this. On this scene. Yeah, I was surprised by how kind of harrowing it was. Um, as you mentioned, Bobby, the the empathy that uh, Boyd has for Devil and, and his ability to kind of describe what Devil's feeling and the pain and not being able to breathe. And then Devil's whimpering cry. Uh, it, just, yeah. it was very intense. And, es- and especially you, you didn't mention um, when Boyd asks, like, do you want, do you want me to help you with the pain or whatever he specifically says? And, right. and devil does like nod 
like he he, right. he can't speak but he like kind of nods and i thought that was really intense like he he was saying like please kill me yeah, i'm, just in, kill I'm me. in a lot of pain and it's like that was yeah it, it it had an impact on me that that moment yeah i think it's it's really well done and it makes us feel some empathy for it's it's weird because obviously they're both criminals and like bad guys and but like even like when devil is part of boyd's crew and not like betraying him we're kind of like this guy kind of is an asshole he's like always like trying to start a, you know he's always like antagonizing and he's super racist and like is complaining about things not being racist enough and stuff like <laughs> he's just all around bad guy that we don't really like but in this moment you're just like this is a human being whose life is ending yeah. and it's which speaks to how good of a job not only walton goggins as always but like kevin rankin really crushes this scene yeah mm-hmm. definitely Oh, just any other thoughts on this? Uh, I, I think you guys covered most of the stuff. I, I always find it interesting when there's depictions of like people who have been shot, whether it's a war movie or something like that. And like, oftentimes I always think of uh, saving private Ryan when Giovanni Ribisi's character dies. And he's asking you for more. You are just out, out for spoilers this evening. Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. That's exactly what it is. He actually cries out for his mother. Um, and just like people really on death's door, uh, having this, like this moment of realization and I don't know, and, and, and sort of emoting in accordance with that. So like the, the whimper is in line with that. And that, um, I, I don't want to just say it was like interesting to me, but I, cause how do I know? I don't know anyone who's been in that position. I've never seen it or anything like that. Um, I know that there have been instances of of things like that in, in real life, which is obviously taking it to a very uh, dark place. But I just thought that that was like, you know, noteworthy that this guy has been like a badass or tried to be a badass at least for a long time. And right. he's right there. And right at the end, he's uh, he's confronted with the finality of it all just before it happens. Yeah. What a downer. What a downer to to wrap the pot on. <laughs> You're but luckily, welcome. But luckily, this is fiction, everyone. Kevin Rankin's fine. Um but yeah. The actor and the character I think will be missed. I, I enjoyed watching Kevin Rankin. I really love him in uh he has a small role in Friday Night Lights. And he's really fun in that. But I think all we got left to do is talk about the next episode, unless Zach, oh, just any other odds and ends, just general stuff about this episode or that scene or any other stuff? No, all set. Why did they um, take the shot? Why did they give the shot? <laughs> <laughs> Why do they take the bullets out of the shotgun? <laughs> you remember that scene? I don't. Why did that happen like that? <laughs> um, that will be answered at the end of season six. They finally come. They, you know, there's a scene in the end of season six where the old woman who visits Jed yeah. in prison. <laughs> 
uh, she returns with the shotgun shells. Yeah, she has the shells, and she <laughs> she has them. She has them as a necklace that she wears. <laughs> um, so next episode, season three, episode five, thick as mud. After the plan to steal Mags' money fails, Dewey finds himself in a life-or-death situation in a last-ditch attempt to make money. Meanwhile, after Devil's attempted betrayal, Boyd decides to retaliate on his enemies. Mm. That's something, you know, I'm looking forward to. Uh, I don't know if it happens in this episode, but I know that it, you know, at some point, it sounds like it might. I'm looking forward to some interaction between Boyd and Robert Quarles. Mm. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And the ghost of Mags Bennett. Oh, yeah. What if just totally not mentioned, it's in the background, we just see like a like a, a ghostly Margot Martindale figure in the background in the in the Bennett store? What if it's like hereditary style, just up in the corner? Oh my yeah. god, that would be horrifying. <laughs> I like feel like I need to check my she's up in the, the corner. corners of this room. She's up in the corner and she either does a little hip. That's nuke. Magsy in the corner. Oh man. Sorry, go on. I was gonna say she's up in the corner. She either does a little hip juke that she does when she's giving her little speech at the church, or she straight oh, up yeah. does our favorite and just says whoop de doo. Here comes the whoop de doo, and then she descends <laughs> upon you. <laughs> She comes down like this, like a ghost, like Slimer <laughs> in Ghostbuster. Wow. Those bus um, I think, you know what? Ojis is going to be away next week, and Zach and I will be recording a bonus pod in which we do a deep dive <laughs> into where the shotgun shells <laughs> came from. Yes, yes. You guys slow it down. It's going to be a five part uh, mini series. Frame by frame dissection. Yes. (laughs) Zapruder film it. Absolutely. Can we Zapruder film the Bible from season two? That, uh, what's his, the, uh, what the hell's his name? Oh, what's his name with the ATV? Ah, I can't think of his name. Old Winston Baines. Boom. Woo. This is an encyclopedia of justified knowledge in my fucking brain. If they do a justified theme Jeopardy, I'm in. Anyway, we will be back. You won't even notice that Otis has been gone because we will have a replacement. (laughs) Or because we'll record the episode before you know it. Dame Judy Dench. She will not be on the pod. But, you know what, maybe we can get Jennifer Coolidge. Oh, (laughs) I bet we could. Oh, my gosh. Oh, oh, hey, Jennifer Coolidge is here now. Holy cow. How did she get here? She's putting on her headphones. Jennifer, can can you hear us? I think she's stepping up to the mic right now. Hi, 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 how you guys doing tonight? I can't. This is so bad. (laughs) You made me laugh way too much. Sounds like she smoked a few too many cigarettes tonight. Oh, listen, we're gonna break down more episodes of Justified, and you're gonna hear more from Jennifer Coolidge and other celebrity guests next time. 
on next one's coming faster. Uh, just have to clarify that it's not guaranteed the next time you're going to be slow on the show. <laughs> okay, see you later. Bye-bye. Okay, take care now. Who put the shotguns in the shells? <laughs> Errol sells shotgun shells down by the seashore. (laughs) All right, I'll, I'll see you later. Thanks for listening to Next One's Coming Faster, hosted by me, Bobby, and my co-hosts, Zach and Ogis. Next One's Coming Faster is available wherever you find your podcasts. 